0: Hello and welcome to the Health Advocate podcast episode 14. My name is Rebecca Haddock and I'm the Director of the Diebel Institute for Health Policy Research here at the Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Diebel Institute, we are the research arm of AHA and our mission is to help ensure that evidence is a cornerstone for health policy development in Australia. We like to do this through forming practical connections between researchers, policymakers, and practitioners and also by creating opportunities for our university partners to translate research into good health policy and practice. Today I'm speaking with Kylie Woolcock. Kylie is the Policy Director here at the Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association and the author of our latest health policy brief titled Value-Based Healthcare Setting the Scene for Australia. Kylie, welcome to the Health Advocate podcast. Thanks Rebecca. Kylie, there are a lot of different interpretations of value-based healthcare. What does it mean to you and do you think it really matters how people interpret it? Rebecca, the word value has become a bit of a buzzword. To different people and to
1: different entities, value-based healthcare can mean different things. It could mean cost minimisation or cost effectiveness or even a values-based approach. Without an agreed definition, the meaning tends to shift depending on who is setting the agenda. So it's really important that we define the term value for the Australian context. The definition used by the World Economic Forum reflects the seminal work of Porter and Teseberg, defining value by the health outcomes that matter to patients relative to the resources or costs required. The equation sounds straightforward, outcomes over cost, but the concept isn't that simple. The health outcomes that matter to patients are multidimensional. It's not just the clinical indicators, the ones we're more familiar with measuring, but broader factors. These outcomes should incorporate both near-term and longer-term aspects. We need to be thinking about what the period of time is that will encompass the ultimate result from the healthcare provided. The outcomes should capture health status, achieved or retained. This might be the functional level achieved or the pain level, and whether there is recurrence or long-term consequences. The process of recovery is also an outcome that might matter to patients, such as the time to return to normal activities. When we think outcomes, we need to be thinking about the patient's experience across the full course of their care. The other half of the equation is cost. The costs need to reflect the actual costs for delivering care to a patient over a full cycle of care. It can sound simple, but in practice can be challenging. They're often distributed across many providers, as well as the patient, their family and carers. However, we also don't typically collect cost data in this way. We may not have the time dedicated by various staff members or the proportion of indirect resources that contribute to a specific patient's care. And in practice, it's payment data we tend to have access to. Then beyond outcomes and costs here in Australia, we also need to be thinking about the definition of value in the context of universal healthcare. How does the concept of social value feature in the definition? Can we use the Porter and Teesburg definition as a frame of reference in the allocation of resources to different patient groups or populations? In the UK, for example, a triple value approach is taken. Value is defined at the level of the patient, or personalised value, at the level of the intervention, or technical value, and at the level of the population, so allocative value. So given implementing value-based healthcare requires unprecedented cooperation among stakeholders, it's important that we start with a clear and shared definition of what value in healthcare means for Australia.
0: Kylie, your brief provides a number of recommendations for enabling value-based healthcare through public policy in Australia. Why is public policy important? Well we can think of value as being created at the local level by the combined efforts of providers
1: in partnership with patients over the full cycle of their care. Actions taken to improve value are going to be determined not only by evidence and the needs of that population, but also by the patterns of services and the infrastructure that has evolved over time. We need to facilitate a regional approach to healthcare between local hospital networks, PHNs, community health services, local governments, health insurers and other regional partners. Models of funding and collaboration must be flexible to respond to the regional needs that have been identified. And so we need public policy that enables that to happen. We need an aligned vision so that changes are made within a comprehensive transformation strategy. Collaborative relationships need to be fostered. We need to support there to be continual assessment and learning from change public policy is needed that enables sustained cultural change at all levels and across all sectors. But in fact there are already a number of important enablers of value-based healthcare present in Australia and these are highlighted in my brief. They are however being implemented individually and not as part of a coordinated strategy. Can you tell us a little bit about the recommendations in your brief? Well the brief provides five recommendations for enabling value based healthcare through public policy in Australia. As we've just discussed so no surprises the first is a need for a national cross-sector strategy. It is possible that this can be a through the COAG heads of agreement for post July 2020. This agreement calls for, among other things, new long-term system-wide reforms for paying for value and outcomes. The specific details of the scope of this reform are not yet clear, but it does signal an awareness by governments of a need to reorient the health system in this way. However, even if a national approach cannot be agreed, it is feasible for the Commonwealth to work with some jurisdictions to progress. The second recommendation is about access to relevant and up-to-date data. There are a number of components to this. We need the work that has been happening on patient outcome and experiences data across the states and territories to be coordinated, including participation in international programs, such as with the International Consortium of Health Outcomes Measurement, or ITROM, and the OECD Development of the Patient-Reported Indicators Survey, or PARIS. We need to continue to pursue national clinical quality registries as a mechanism for collecting and analysing data on health outcomes, benchmarking, understanding variation. There are some good examples in Australia already, such as the Palliative Care Outcomes Collaboration, collecting patient-reported outcomes, embedding data collection into routine clinical practice, providing feedback to individual services, and benchmarking for systematic improvements at the patient level and the system level. We can also look internationally for good examples. Sweden, for example, they have over 100 registries collecting structural, process, and outcome indicators used for both continuous improvement and evaluation of healthcare delivery. 75% of the registries are collecting patient-reported outcome measures, and a majority of registries cover more than 80% of their target population. We also need action on cost data across a full cycle of care and the required health informatics infrastructure for collecting and using all this data. These all fall under this recommendation for relevant and up-to-date data. The third recommendation is about evidence in the Australian context. International evidence and experience are important. They will help support implementation on an empirical basis and comparisons can provide an opportunity to reflect on Australia's performance. However, we can't forget that this evidence and experience comes from a different context different philosophies underpinning healthcare systems and different boundaries defined for them. These systems that over time have been optimised for different conditions and populations There are patients with different expectations regarding performance and there are limitations on data either being unavailable or inconsistently collected. And there are different funding models and payment schemes. We need a strategic approach and funding for proof of concept programs in Australia with learnings shared in a timely manner. The fourth recommendation is around a workforce strategy that supports value-based models of care. The workforce is a specific area that requires attention in developing evidence in the Australian context. Labor costs comprise a large share of health expenditure and so making better use of the workforce to improve outcomes without raising costs or reduce costs without compromising outcomes improves value. With a focus on the outcomes that matter to patients and costs for a full cycle of care, the debate moves away from financial incentives and vested interests that are often an impediment to structural reform. We want to be thinking about how the workforce integrates around patients. We need to be enabled to explore innovative models of care, particularly to meet regional needs. The fifth and final recommendation is around funding systems that incentivise value. This is another specific area that requires attention in developing evidence in the Australian context. We need to explore payment approaches from a whole-of-system perspective. Each payment system, be that fee-for-service, salaries, capitation, pay-for-performance, activity-based funding, comes with its own design and perverse incentives. Different approaches are likely to be required for different populations conditions and types of care. We need financial incentives to be aligned between sectors. And while payment systems are often discussed in isolation, it's important that debate considers balancing financial risk outcomes,
0: accountability and responsibility as well. Kylie, you're a pharmacist by trade. How do you see the shift towards value-based healthcare from that perspective? Well, it has been a little while since I have practised in a
1: patient-facing role. Being a pharmacist does make me think about what a value-based approach means for my profession and for all professions, really. I believe most of those who enter a career as a health professional are motivated to do the best thing for their patients. It seems crazy to even need to say it, but they do want their patients to have the best outcomes. Professions and service providers need to engage in these discussions. They need to be thinking about how they contribute to value. What are the outcomes that matter? to patients and how do they contribute to achieving those. There are so many examples where we see arguments between professions and service providers play out in the media. I mean just looking at the last few weeks there's the debate around oral contraceptives being available from pharmacists rather than on prescription from a doctor. Arguments against the trial playing out through the media at least focus on the training of pharmacists losing the opportunity to screen for other conditions such as breast cancer and cervical cancer, the direct profit from sales and a need for national uniformity. While I'm not here to comment on the validity of those arguments, what is surprising is the lack of focus on what outcomes matter to women, their rights to reduce unplanned pregnancies and control their fertility, and ensuring access in a safe and effective way. That should be our starting point. Another example raised recently here in Australia is the approach to mental health care are we incentivising the outcomes that matter or are we just incentivising activity? The questions raised in the media against funding for nurse-led walking clinics, or for St John urgent care centres, the excessive fees charged by some surgeons, there are just so many examples. Taking a value-based approach to healthcare gives us a patient-centred way to design and manage health systems. It offers a frame of reference for dialogue between all stakeholders, aligning focus on the shared objective of achieving the health outcomes that matter to patients for an efficient and sustainable cost.
0: Kylie, thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to read Kylie's policy brief on value-based care or just find out more information on the Diebel Institute for Health Policy Research, you can visit the AHA website or follow us on Twitter.